by design and by providence. We end our look at the five solas on this Easter Sunday with a look at Soli Deo Gloria. Join us. Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse is up next. The Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Hi there. Welcome to our Easter edition of Graceful Truth. As we celebrate the empty tomb, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we do so to the glory of God. And that is precisely how we close out our series on the five solas. We've been focusing on the five distinct pillars of the Christian faith over the past few centuries. Solus Christus, Sola Fide, Sola Gratia, Sola Scriptura, all for the Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. And that is how we end our series and take a look at this Easter edition of Graceful Truth to the Glory of God. Here's Pastor Steve Converse with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. God never begins a work that he does not eventually bring to a complete conclusion. See, it's to him be the glory forevermore. Isaiah 42, 8 says, So let us give God the glory, remembering that God himself says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or praise to idols. Isaiah 48, 11 says, For my own sake, for my own sake I can do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. Those are very bold and deep statements that God is making about his glory. So when you come to a place like Romans chapter 11, you see how salvation is leading into this doxology that we read this morning. After establishing the the simple principle that election is by grace with works excluded from consideration at all in Romans chapter 11 verses 5 and 6, he goes on to draw the unexpected conclusion that God consigned both the Jew and the Gentile to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. And the ultimate conclusion of that is a glorious one. It's one that says, you know what? We don't understand what you're doing, God. Your wisdom's unsearchable. Your ways are inscrutable. We can't even argue with this. And that's where he leads to in verse 36. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And that's the point in which the rich depths of, of Paul's salvation leads. And it also begins in the next verse. If you look at the next verse, in verse 1, chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the what mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, what holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. See, when you stop and you understand that your salvation is only for his glory, it changes the whole game. It changes how you deal with a lot of things. Turn over to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I just want to focus on a couple of these verses here. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17.
Paul writes here, he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a great guy. No, he was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He was insolent, opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might be might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Verse 17, he says this, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. See, his salvation was not due to Paul finally cleaning up his act. He didn't say, yeah, I was a pretty bad dude and then I got things together and now I'm serving God. No. It was due to the overflowing, what, grace of our Lord. His confession of salvation is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save, what, sinners. He came to save sinners. He didn't come to save those who think they're not sinners. He didn't come to save those who think they're righteous. He didn't come to save the religious folk. Came to save sinners. And Paul said, hey, you know what? You're looking at one right here. I'm number one. And given that the Lord had saved Paul, his point is simply that, you know what? There's no reason to doubt that he can also save anyone else who believes, no matter how bad they are. That's why he says the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. The honor and glory forevermore. Or if you jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Verse 15 and 16. I love Paul's little doxologies he throws through Romans and through his epistles. You know, it's like he can't contain himself sometimes. He says in verse 13 there of chapter 6, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only, what? Sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Think about that one for a while. Next time you hear somebody, yeah, saw Jesus while I was shaving. Had a little chat in the morning. Yeah, I don't think so. It says, to him be honor and eternal dominion or glory forevermore. Amen. 
I mean, when you read these verses, I just want to point out seven quick observations here. They're in your outline. First of all, when you look at chapter 1 and chapter 6, we realize that ascribing glory to God and God alone is no way meant to exclude Christ. Some people say, well, why does he get all, why does God get all the glory, not Christ? Uh, last time I checked, Christ is God. <laughs> and it's just, you know, so we're on the same page. Um, the worship he directs to the only God in chapter 1, he directs to Christ in chapter 6. Why? Because Christ is God. Secondly, glory and honor are given to God. They're essentially considered, that is to say, in view of the divine nature. There's three persons of the Trinity. They're all one true eternal God. The same in substance, equal in power and glory. Glory is ascribed to one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we worship one God. We don't worship three gods. Thirdly, as God alone receiving glory is the outcome of salvation, listen to this, it's also the purpose of salvation. That's why God saved you. That's abundantly clear when you read through the, the epistle to the Ephesians. Paul points out in verse 6 that election unto salvation was to the praise of his glorious grace. Or in verse 12, he says, The counsel of God's will concerning those who hope in Christ, those who are predestined to faith, was so that he might be to the praise of his glory. Or in verse 14, it talks about the sealing of the Holy Spirit for believers is likewise to the praise of his glory. See, God's motive in salvation was grace. But the end was his glory. Fourthly, there's an intimate connection between our salvation and God's glory. The two are not in competition in any way. But due to the fall into sin, man does not willingly glorify God or enjoy him. Salvation restores both elements. God receives the glory for saving such wretches as ourselves, and we begin to delight in the God of such sovereign grace who saved us. So there is a distinct connection between salvation and God's glory. Fifthly, it shouldn't be allowed to obscure the fact that there is a genuine sense in which God's glory is broader and even more ultimate than salvation. See, as human beings, we think, well, yeah, this is all about salvation. It's, well, not really. In Revelations chapter 4 and 5, there are visions of two heavenly worship services. The first describes glory, honor, and power to God in view of creation in verse 411. The second recounts a song sung to the Lamb for his saving work in chapter 5 of Revelation verses 9 and 10. The grounds for glorifying God, then, are wider than just simply redemption. He's got more on his plate than just that. Ultimately, the grounds for glorifying God are as wide as God's own perfect being. Sixth, God is also therefore worthy of praise even before and apart from salvation. Just because you're saved, okay, if you're not saved here this morning, it doesn't mean that God still doesn't deserve glory. The glory of God is higher 
than the salvation of mankind. Now, true, it's only those who experience salvation who come willingly to glorify God. That's true. Be careful of making an idol out of that human good because there is none. God's mercy and grace are past all of our ability to express or even conceive. But it would be no kindness at all to, for all of us to replace God's supremacy in God's own purposes. Last thing, seventh, thus the Reformation soul has persistently put mankind in his place. I don't know about you, but the five studies we've been through have been kind of like going to the woodshed every, every time you get into these things. I mean, this isn't about me. No, it's not about you. It's all about the glory of God. You know, we have no knowledge of God apart from his self-revelation. We have no ability to earn our salvation. But Christ must do all of this for us. He must do all of this in our place. We have no basis upon which to claim any benefits of Christ's work except God's kindness, his grace. Even when we come to receive Christ freely offered in the gospel, we give nothing in exchange. Faith is strictly receptive faculty. I was talking to someone before the service and they were mentioning about how a lot of people today misplace their faith as their faith. (laughs) They think somehow, yeah, oh yeah, I'm saved by faith alone. Well, the faith they're talking about is their own faith. Trust me, your own faith ain't going to save you from squat. You have to have a faith that is gifted to you by the God who created you. And so the four solos highlight this radical poverty of created and fallen man before the creating and redeeming God. And this last solo really reminds us where we stand We're not the center of the universe, beloved. God is. God is. The sovereign covenant Lord tells us in Isaiah 43, 25, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, I blot out your transgressions for your sake. He says, I do it for my sake. Even in salvation, beloved, we aren't central. It's God. God will be glorified and God will be glorified in salvation of sinners who can contribute nothing to their own salvation. In that way, it's no hindrance to our happiness that it is less important than God's glory. It's no small part of our joy and comfort to sing with ancient Israel as in Psalm 115.1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Well, we read the verse earlier, whatever you do, whatever you eat, drink, probably thinking right now, yeah, hurry up so we can get over there and eat something. (laughs) It's all right, we're getting there. Give me a couple minutes. What did Paul mean by that? What do you mean 
do all for the glory of God. What does that possibly mean? Well, you know what? To boil it down very simply, it's three things. First of all, seek to offend no one. Now, we're not going to be perfect. We're going to offend people left and right. But when we do, we need to make it right. We need to confess it. We need to go to that person. That's what glorifies God. Secondly, we need to have a heart that says, you know what? As Paul did, I want to kind of please everybody if possible. I want to go out of my way to make sure, not in a way that you're compromising things, not a people pleaser, but you want people to be pleased with you. That's what the Word of God says. Within the faith and outside the faith even, make sure that your life is okay with people. And then secondly, Paul said, seek the salvation of as many as possible. I mean, that's the genius of Paul's life. He had but one ambition, to win men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what they came up to him with. Paul wasn't a legalist, far from it. When you look at the life of Paul, he was the last person to live by this artificial set of rules and regulations. He cared nothing about pleasing men just to please them. On the other hand, he would do whatever it took to win people to Christ. You want to eat some meat? Hey, let's eat meat. Give me the T-bone. Oh, you're a vegetarian? Pass me the Brussels sprouts. I'm good with that. Oh, you're Jewish? Well, let's go to the temple. Oh, you're Greek? Well, let's talk about philosophy. Oh, you're Roman? Hey, how about those gladiators? Man, they're amazing. Keep the Sabbath? Fine. I'll keep it with you. Work on Saturday? No problem. I'll see you at Bible study tonight. I mean, he, he just crossed every boundary and said, you know what, I just want people to come to Christ. Paul lived and he breathed the gospel. His message never changed. He preached the same gospel wherever he went. But he did change his methods to fit his audience. Why, to pander to them? No. To remove barriers. To gain a hearing for the gospel. Whatever it took to reach people, Paul was willing to do it. How does that apply to us today? Beloved, people watch the way we live. They see us. They see us on a daily basis. Our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, our spouses. They draw conclusions about our values from what we do and what we don't do. Where we go, where we don't go, the things we say, the jokes we tell, the songs we sing, the books we read, the shows we watch. All those things send a message about our ultimate values. And you have to stop and you have to ask yourself, are these things glorifying to the Lord? It's not a simple list of do's and don'ts. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a mindset. I'll close with this. In the first century, the world was a frightful, in frightful condition. This is just one writer's kind of deal on the Reformation. He says, one does not need to be a great authority on Roman history to know that. There were signs of the breakdown of the Roman Empire, rampant hedonism, and a disillusion of morals. But at the same point, God was pleased to send into the world that great preacher of the sovereignty of God, the Apostle Paul. And this introduced a brand new principle into the total structure. The preaching of Paul did not avert the collapse of the Roman Empire, but it postponed it. Moreover, it permitted the creation of a body of believers that persisted through that 
through the terrible invasions of the barbarian hordes, and even through the Dark Ages. In the 16th century, the church had succumbed to deep corruption. It was corrupt in its head and members. In many ways, it was a cesspool of iniquity. People did not know how to remedy the situation. They tried councils. They tried internal purges. They tried monastic orders. None of these things seemed to work. But God, again, raised up to his glory men who proclaimed the truth of his sovereignty and the truth of God's grace. In proclaiming this truth, they brought a multitude of the children of God into a new sense of their dependence upon and relationship to Christ. In proclaiming this truth, they benefited even the very people who opposed them in their tradition of the church. These are small. They are small, these men of the Reformation. They had little money, little power, little influence. One was a portly little monk in Germany. Another was a frail little professor in Geneva. The third was a ruddy but lowly little man in Scotland. What could they possibly do? In themselves, nothing. But by the power of God, they shook the world. Radically corrupted, but sovereignly purified. Radically enslaved, but sovereignly emancipated. Radically unable, but sovereignly empowered. These men were blessed by God to be a blessing to us. To God alone be the glory. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that as we've closed off this series, that we would be reminded that it's for your glory and your glory alone. That the chief end of man is to glorify you. Find pleasure in you. Not in ourselves. And Father, that affects every aspect of our life, even as believers. It affects the way we look at our salvation. It affects the way we look at our fellowship with one another. It affects the way that we minister to one another. It affects the way that we worship here together as a body. Lord, I pray that we would be known as a church that that seeks to honor and to glorify you and you alone, not an individual pastor, an individual elder, an individual deacon. But Lord, all glory goes to you. And Father, with, without you, we would not be here. Without you, we would have no salvation to speak of. We would still be steeped in our sin on our way to hell. But Lord, it's because of your genuine love for us that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to do a work that we could not do, to pay a price that we could never pay, to satisfy a debt that was beyond our ability to satisfy. And so, Father, for that we give you all glory and honor. We thank you for our salvation. Lord, if there's someone here this morning who's yet to put their faith or trust in you, Father, I pray that they would understand there's no other to turn to. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's the work of Christ and Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone. And so, Lord, we pray these things for your glory, for your honor. Bless our time of fellowship across the way. And bless that food to our bodies. We ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. 
And this is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. If you would like to hear the program again or find out more about us, you're welcome to visit our website, gracebibleonline.org. That's gracebibleonline.org. Or give us a call, 650-366-9923. If you'd like to join us for worship at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, Again, visit our website for the details, gracebibleonline.org, or call 650-366-9923. And now, once again, here's Pastor Steve. Thanks, Andy. I have a special announcement for the ladies in our listening audience. We will be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Friday and Saturday, May 5th and 6th. This conference will be beneficial for women who teach Bible study, Sunday school, or just enjoy studying God's Word. Colleen is a very gifted teacher who will be sharing with our ladies the importance of expository principles in both Bible study and teaching. Breakfast and lunch will be provided, and there is a registration fee of just $60. The registration form can be downloaded from our website, gracebibleonline.org, and mailed in with your payment. Pre-registration is required and we're encouraging the ladies to register early because seating will be limited. Once again, we will be hosting a women's expository conference with special speaker Colleen McFadden from the Simeon Trust on Friday and Saturday, May 5th and 6th. You can check out our website for all the details and times and download the registration form today. Thank you, Steve. And again, friend, we'd love to hear from you. So call us today, 650-366-9923, or write to us, 2225 Euclid Avenue, Redwood City, 94061 is our zip code. Until next time, God bless. God bless.